Well, I'm going to say it again because I like to. Good morning. Is everyone doing all right for the most part? I mean, you're here, so that's good. Um, well, we are on our third or fourth Sunday of a mini-series within a grander series of Prepare Ye the Way, being prepared to become a discipleship culture. We're going through um, what it means to be a disciple. And today we're going to focus on how do we give it away. But before we do that, I want to recap on just where we've been thus far. And we've been talking about um, that through Jesus, a disciple has to understand that we have full access to him. Okay? What's his is what? Ours, right? Um, So he gives us access to himself. We have to tap into his presence. We have to be with him. We talked about proximity, that righteousness, holiness, they're not achieved through doing the right things, but achieved through being in the right place, and that's next to Jesus. And so when we're with him, we become holy as he is holy, because he's the only one that can make us holy or righteous. And so he transforms us from the inside out. So holiness and righteousness is about proximity, but discipleship in itself is about proximity. And then last week, Sharon did a great job at talking about the things that take us uh, outside of that intimate proximity to Jesus? What are those things in our lives that we have, um, in a way, sold ourselves to that have taken us outside of the relationship of Jesus? And some may seem like they're there to bring us closer to Jesus. We talked about being a rule follower and, and growing up in the church. I'm telling you, there are a lot of rules at church that are not in here. And so it's easy to become slave to those things and forget about the relationship with Jesus and totally forget about the relationship with one another. And so um, she did a great job at setting that up. And so today we want to talk about what does it mean to give it away and why is that important? Because it's one thing to posture ourselves to be a disciple, but in itself to be a disciple not only means that you are discipled, but that you disciple others. That's full circle, okay? So when Jesus says to his disciples to go and make disciples, okay, he's giving you that second piece. So you posture yourself with Jesus, you learn from him, you emulate him, okay, you imitate him, and then you go do likewise. Now you go and make disciples, and and what does that mean? So here's, here's the question I ask. Is your life worth imitating? Is your life worth imitating? And I would say this. If you're walking with Jesus, no matter what you think your life looks like, if you're striving to be where he is, if you see um, his fruit pour out of you because of your relationship with him, your life is worth imitating. No matter what you think, your life's worth imitating if Jesus is moving in you and through you. Now, let's just get right to it. One of the the things that holds us back the most is insecurity and fear, right? You're in a room full of people that have all different kinds of gifts, that have all different kinds of experiences, and one of the things we love to do is compare those and then establish a value system to those things. And say, well, my gift isn't good enough. You know, I, what God's done in me, it's small, it's small you know, it's, 
smidgens, pigeons, what am I looking for? What's the word? Small potatoes. Well, that's not where I was going, but that'll work. Small potatoes compared to so-and-so who's doing this every week and doing that every week. I can't tell you how many people come up to me and go, I can't do that. I'm not a pastor. You're a pastor. You do it. Well, no, there's no professionals in this. (laughs) We're all ministers of the gospel, those of us who call Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, my gift, what God has done in me, is no greater than what he's done in you. It looks different, it's going to function differently, and it's going to communicate to people differently, but what it does communicate that's the same is Jesus, who he is. That's why our stories and our testimonies are unique and one of the most powerful gifts we have. But how we live our lives, how we live out that gift, how we give it away is really important. Now, many of you know that, um, that have been here for the last couple of years, my grandfather um, is one of my heroes. He's a pastor and learned so much from him. And he just passed away in October, and he left different things with different people in the family. And one of the things he left was this collection of exotic seashells. And I remember, I mean, he went all over the world and he got these things, and he had them in this glass case with this uh, wooden casing of oak, it was super expensive, and it was kind of like there was a perimeter around it, like you don't go into that bubble, right? It's like personal space. When someone talks to you this close, it's like you're too close, right? It's like that with this. And like if you wanted to look at them, there was binoculars on the shelf, and you could look from the stairs. You can't get near that. So one time my grandfather wasn't there, so my brother and I, there was a dolly in there for some reason, and so you got two boys that are like six and eight, and we see a dolly and we're bored at grandma's, what do you think is going to happen, right? Well, little brother, get on board and I'm going to push you around. So I do, and we smoke that thing, corner of it with this long scratch around the casing. And so immediately I go tattletale mode and tell my, tell my brother, and to this day, he's the one that holds the fault, so that's good. But um, certain people in my family inherited this thing. It was coveted. It was just, oh, it was so beautiful. And, and each person got something, and this was one of my gifts. And it just looks like a box, but really what it is, it's my, um, if I can get this open, it's my grandfather's communion set that he brought with him everywhere he went. And... Some of my family would be bragging about what they got. You know, we got the shells, you, you got a box with cups in it. Right? It's sad, isn't it? We all know the meaning, but it's a family of pastors. So, And uh, so, oh, we got the shells, we got this. So the gift doesn't seem like much, right? It doesn't seem like, oh, much to brag about. It doesn't, it doesn't ooh and awe you. Like you see these shells, you're like, whoa, those are exotic, those blow my mind. And when we come into a place of people that are gifted, we can look at people and go, whoa, man, they can do all this stuff. You look at Billy Graham, you're like, dude, I can never do that. I'm never going to be like that. All I have, he's got, he's got the seashells. All I've got is this little communion set. How can I give something away like that? How can I do that? But let me tell you, you take this away, it's fine. You throw it away, it's fine. Because But what it represents for me, don't throw it away, please. (laughs) But what it represents to me is, is 
what is worth imitating about my grandfather's life. He went around everywhere with people and just learned to be with them, take communion with them, hear them, encourage them. It was about intentionality and investment. And seashells aren't going to help me with that. And so, was his life worth imitating? Yes. Was the gift small? It seemed that way, but it spoke truth and power into my life and gave me a reminder of to invest in people and to be intentional. And as a disciple, making disciples, you cannot do it without those two things. You need to be intentional, and we have to invest in people. For some reason, we think as Christians, we're running out of time, and we need to bring the masses in, and that's how we're going to expand the kingdom of God, is bringing an attractional kind of thing. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying bad things about attractional church. There's some good things there. But for some reason, we think quantity is going to save us, is going to expand things, is... Is, is going to make things better. But guess what? All you've got is more people that know about Jesus but don't know how to live in him. And so if we want to make disciples, we have to be intentional and invest. And that doesn't mean you're investing in 20 people. Most times it's one person at a time, and we have to be okay with that. Because you never know. You never know. That one person can be the person like Billy Graham that brings multitudes to Jesus. And so what, seem, what may seem like little to us has huge significance in the kingdom of God. You tracking with me? This is really important to understand. Every person here that carries the name of Jesus, that, that spends time in his presence, has something worth imitating. And, you know, one of the things we do uh, often in our culture um, especially in the church culture, the Christian culture, is that we're afraid to say that our life is worth imitating or that we're good at something. It was a hard time with that. I, do, I mean, I suffer from it really badly. My staff, the staff here is always doing inner healing in my life for that. Um, yeah, right? We, we have this thing where we can't say, you know, I'm walking with Jesus, yes, and I'm, and I'm getting to know his heart, but we're afraid to say our life is worth imitating. We got to get over that. We've got to be all right with saying in our minds and our hearts. You don't need to say it out loud, but you have to believe it so that you can have the courage to go to someone and start discipling them and understand that God's done a work in your life, and it's worth Im- imitating. I almost want to say intimidating. but So if I say that on accident, bear with me. Imitating. It's worth imitating. Well, what we're going to do is start where Sharon left off with the life of Peter last week. Peter, who likes Peter that that knows about Peter's life, right? Peter, out of everyone, seems to be the most relatable to us, doesn't he? Someone that strives to be with Jesus and do the things he's called him to do and messes up all the time, right? But somehow, God's favor doesn't leave him, right? He's continually being used. And so what we see with Peter is a guy who's taking some big hits, but he learns from them. And he doesn't seem like much, but Jesus says to him, on you, I'm going to build my church. Well, I've failed you so many times. How about, I don't have much. But he wants to be where Jesus is. And he wants to build his church on people like that. So it may seem small, 
but it's huge for the kingdom. And so one of the great, great passages in the scripture that shows how Peter learns from his mistakes and continually moves um, towards Jesus and continually lives in him and exemplifies who he is is in Acts chapter 3. And we're going to read one verses 1 through 7, and we've talked about this before here. If we can get that up on screen, that would be great. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, Look at us. The man gave, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Stop. Now, what we see here is not only a life worth imitating, right? We look at that, we go, I want to be like that. I want to imitate, I want to learn from what Peter does. But what we see is not just a life worth imitating, but a life that's already imitating Jesus. Sharon alluded to um, Peter's faith to step out of the boat on the lake. Famous scene where he walks on water, and we give Peter a lot of credit because, yeah, he stepped out. We don't know if he was scared about it. We don't know if he was excited about it, as Sharon said last week. We don't know if he was like, whoa, but we know he stepped out, right? That's the first step, no pun intended, and he walks on water, and he's looking where? At Jesus. And then the waves come, he gets frightened, and he looks at them. He breaks eye contact with Jesus, and what happens to him? He sinks. So he takes his eyes off Jesus, he sinks, Jesus what? Reaches down and what? Helps him up. What do you see in this passage? Any similarities? Yeah? Look at me, Peter says. Now remember, there's a cultural understanding of social status, and this guy probably was not looking at Peter and John in the eyes, and he says to them, look at me, know that I see you, because that speaks of value. When someone looks at you in the eye when they're talking to you, it makes you feel a whole lot better, doesn't it? Because you know they're there with you. Peter and John, I would argue, are saying, look at me, I'm with you here. I see you. These people walk by you every day, but I'm not just going to walk by you. I see you. I see you. And then they say, we don't have silver or gold. We don't have the fancy stuff. We don't have all the seashells. But what we do have, we what? Give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up. Walk. And Peter what? Helps him up. So you see, Peter was watching and learning from Jesus, imitating him, 
And now we do the same, right? We imitate Peter because what we see in Peter is not about Peter. It's about Jesus within Peter. That's why we imitate him. So we can say, I, my life is worth imitating because my life reflects who Jesus is. So it's not me. It's God within me. I boast about Jesus within me. And that, I know, is worth imitating. And then we talk about, well, I'm not educated enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. Look what happened to Paul. I mean, Paul spent years with Jesus and all that, you know, the, through the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. But it was one encounter, and he was off to the races. One encounter that set his life trajectory. One encounter. And then you've got these guys, the disciples. They're not educated. Now, I, I'm going I'm to be honest with you here. I, I've been very resentful that I've been um, uh, told that my whole life I had to go to seminary in order to really step into the call in my life. Bothers me. Now, I see the importance of education. I don't regret it. I learned a lot, a lot of good things, and I was faithful to the journey God called me on. But the premise of before you can do this, you need this, when you already have Jesus and are, are learning to get to know him, that bothers me. Does it bother anyone else? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bam. Yeah, it, it, it does. Because I'm like, wait a minute. I've seen how God has transformed my life. I don't need a degree to show me that. I don't need a degree for, to you know, teach me how to sit with someone and hear their heart and laugh with them hurt with them, walk with them. You know, Jesus is the one that shows me and leads me, right? Again, I'm not saying education is bad. It's good. But it's not what determines who you are in Christ Jesus. It's those rules we talked about last week, right? So we see in chapter 4, actually, let me back up. Right before that, right after the healing, Peter starts preaching. He starts preaching the gospel. The Sadducees are not happy about this because they're preaching a resurrected Jesus. And these guys are like, we just got rid of this guy. And now he's being preached, he's raised from the dead. This is, they want to stop this. So they engage Peter and John. And this is what we read in verse 13 of chapter 4. When they saw, when the Sadducees saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, you're ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note. Listen to this very carefully. They took note. They recognized. They saw that these men had been with Jesus. They were astonished because they weren't educated. But what they did see, what they did take note of is what? They had been with Jesus. That, to me, is the qualification. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. You have every single thing you need in life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Have you been with him? See, that's how we mark. Okay, that's how we mark if we are, if our life is worth imitating 
Have we been with Jesus? Because people will take note that you and I have been with Jesus. It will happen. It's happened. I can pick out the people in my life I knew had been with Jesus when I wasn't walking with them because of how they treated me, how they hurt with me, how they stood with me. They didn't preach at me. They stood with me. Now, sometimes there was a, a word of correction that needed to be, be there, but it wasn't this all the time. You're living outside of this. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. Because they understood that their important role, our mission, is not to correct people, but lead them to Jesus. He's the one that's going to convict the heart. He's the one that's going to transform the heart. We're the ones that, through the Holy Spirit, help lead them there. By the way, we act and by the way, we respond to what Jesus is doing in us. And so, okay, now how do we do that? As disciples, how do we disciple? Well, I can only speak from my own experience and things I've seen. And so this is how it was within, within me. It's going to be different, but I think the scriptures give us a good idea. First, you have to be intentional. And second, you have to invest Jesus invested, did he not? He was intentional, was he not? So you need those two things. But I remember where I, I, I've, I've been, I've made sure I've been discipled since about six years old when I knew that there's an importance of it. And I always had someone in the church discipling me because one, I loved to learn, not in the classroom, but I loved the one-on-one relationship. And God moved in that. And even when it wasn't there for me. I sought it out, and I went to find it. Because sometimes we go, oh, there's no one here for me. Well, find them. <laughs> I mean, sometimes God will lead you and have you kind of take a, a move forward to find them. And, and I remember one of the greatest examples of discipleship for me was from my neighbor, who's about four years older than me. His name was Damon. And I, was, I just moved from Seattle to San Diego. And I loved sports and being outside, and it was great because there was sun out. Seattle, there's no sun, and so it was just really fun, and um, he, would, he would come over, and he would take me to the park behind our house, and we'd play football all day after school, and he taught me how to play. He taught me how to play baseball. He helped me improve. He hung out with me. He made sure I felt valued, and he's, he's four years older than me, and I'm learning all this stuff just being with him, okay, being with him, and then I remember I was I was so heartbroken. He went to college, and I'm going into high school, and he's leaving high school. I was like, oh, man. Well, what he taught me didn't leave. It was there. Now, he wasn't there physically, but everything he showed me, everything he taught me, all the conversations we had were with me. So I thought, you know what? I'm sure that there's someone out there who's like me. So I went to the park one day, and I was... I got some buddies with me, and we're playing, and I see these kids, and I see this one kid, and the Lord just highlighted him to me. And I went over, and he was about four or five years younger than me, and I said, hey, you want to play? And then for a couple years, I hung out with him like this guy hung out with me. And he started learning, and he started getting better, and, he's, you know, and it was just fun. And this guy just wasn't, he wasn't a project. He was a friend, someone I was pouring into. And I thought, Wow. If that works like this, I wonder if that works in discipleship. I wonder if that kind of intentionality, that kind of investment, with just one person at a time, will have an effect. Because it affected my life, the trajectory in my life. 
And so I thought, okay, when I got into ministry, I've got to do it like this. I've got to ask the Lord to bring people in my life, to highlight them to me, and I'll go after them, Lord. I'll pour in whatever you've taught me. I will pour out in relationship. Now, that doesn't mean I sit up here at the podium and I teach them everything I know, but it's sharing life with them. My life is Jesus, so if I'm sharing life, I'm sharing Jesus. And Mark and Morgan are an example of that. Um, Morgan was the first, the first guy at, in San Diego when I became a, a youth pastor there that I tried this mentoring ministry they were doing. It was a discipleship ministry of this idea of just invest and be intentional and see what happens. And now they're here. I mean, I don't know if I did a good job, but it definitely showed me the importance of giving it away and how you give it away and being there with them. It's funny, Morgan and I were laughing between services because tomorrow's my seven-year anniversary with Shanna, and he goes, you and I have been together as long as you and Shanna. (laughs) Which is kind of true. But you see this beautiful thing happen, and it's not something you're just giving information. Morgan or Mark are, are family to me. You form lasting relationships. It's not just about teaching information. It's about sharing life and imparting what Jesus has imparted into you into them and watch them grow and watch them move in Jesus. That's our call. As disciples, we go and make disciples, which means we establish authentic relationships with people so that we can impart to them what has been imparted to us. Our lives are worth imitating because we live and breathe in Christ Jesus. So if you do that, if you're where he is, then your life is worth imitating. And again, it's not about the fancy gifts or what we would label fancy gifts. They're all great. It's not about comparisons. Comparisons will kill you. My grandmother, um, she used to say to me, she goes, comparing yourself is a sin. She'd wag her finger at me. Whether it is or not, I don't know, but it feels that way sometimes because it separates me, I know, from what God is calling me to when I go, I don't preach like that, dude. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we need someone like this or like that, or I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. And once I started getting over that, then I saw the value of team and body life. There's a reason why we don't have the same thing. And, and then you realize everyone wants what you have too. And it's just like this big comparison, let's just get over it and step into what Jesus has given us. I remember um, <clears throat> doing ministry with a guy who's, who was mentoring me for a while and... Um, he was great at sitting with the most broken, the most broken person you can think of, and sitting with them and leading them um, and walking with them in the midst of that brokenness and watch him get healing. And I'd be like, I can't do that. Not like that. It's like amazing. Like, seriously, you watch this dude and this guy, and I'm spending too much time with Mark Zamora. You watch this dude, and it's like you watch this guy, and you're just enamored by what God does in him and through him. And I remember saying to him, I wish I could do that. I wish I had that instead of this. And he said, shame on you. You stop that. Because <laughs> your gift is important to the kingdom just as much as mine is. 
and we need to pour in that. I can learn. I can practice those things. I can practice sitting with people and this and that. But to start wanting to trade one for the other, what God has given me, the things that he's spoken into you based off your experience with him and comparing that and thinking it's not good enough, stop it. Okay? I'm telling you right now, stop it. One more time, stop it. Because it's only going to lead you away from where God wants you. Trust me. I tried to do that for so many years. I need to prepare my sermons like this guy or else I'm not doing it right. I need to do my, you know, compare, compare, compare. When God's saying, I've given you what I want to give you right here. Use it and give it away. Show people my heart through what I've given you. And you will be amazed. You will be absolutely amazed. When we say, God, here I am, use me. As I am, as what you've given me, my experience with you, it breaks spiritual ground. It really does. In Luke 21, many of us know this, some of us don't. But in Luke 21, Jesus is sitting outside the temple during uh, collection time where they collect the tithes and offerings from the people. And he's sitting there and he's watching people put money in the bucket, so to speak. And rich people bringing lots of money in, this and that. But here comes this woman. And she's got probably what was equivalent to half a cent here. But it's all she had. It was everything. It was her livelihood. According to the outside world, it was her livelihood. Every cent she owned, she took before the Lord and she put it in that bucket. And Jesus looks at that and says that this woman has given more than anyone else because it's not about the quantity but about the faith and the quality. She gave everything she had because she knows who she is. Everything. That is a life worth imitating, is it not? It may have been only a penny, but she gave everything she had because she said, Jesus, I trust you, Lord, I trust you. I am with you, for you are with me. Here you go. Here is my life. Take it and use it for whatever you want. That is a life worth imitating, and it doesn't seem like much to the naked eye. It's not the fancy Moses putting his staff in the water and splitting everything. It's not the plagues. It's not, it's not Jonah sitting in a fish. It's not Noah making a boat. Those are all great and powerful things, wonderful things that God showed his power, his love, and his grace. It was a woman putting in half a cent but it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. I may not have seashells. I may not have all this fancy stuff, but I do have a reminder of what it means to invest in people, what it means to be intentional, what it means to see people, and I wouldn't trade that for the world. If you're a carrier of Jesus, you're a carrier of a life worth imitating, and you need to know that. And if we want to be a discipleship culture, that means that we have to go and give it away. That means we have to identify those people in our lives, no matter who they are. It could be a stranger. It could be someone you know. It could be someone at work. It could be a family member. And it could be someone here at church that God is calling you to to pour into and be with 
and he will direct you in how to give that away. And guess what? You never run out of it. It's not like you're getting one thing and you're giving it away and you don't have it anymore. It's like wildfire. It just spreads and it gets bigger and bigger and hotter and more powerful. And it keeps spreading. That's what you're giving away. Peter shows us, hey, I may not have much, but what I have is greater than what you think is a lot. That's what we see in that story. Because it wasn't just healing he gave him. He gave this guy an encounter with Jesus, an encounter with the living Lord that will change his life forever. And it does, because he worships Jesus. He worships, he praises, he's excited. And now people think they're nuts because they saw, they witnessed, they took note that these guys, they're so courageous, they're uneducated, but somehow, some way, they're doing wonderful, miraculous things, and they took note it was because they were with Jesus. So if you think that doing a ton of stuff in the name of Jesus is the same as doing it with Jesus, you're wrong. People will take note as you move in his presence that you are with Jesus. And they're going to want to be there too. Remember, there's no, it's no professionals. We are all ministers of Jesus Christ. We are all called to make disciples. Our calls look different, how they're fleshed out, but the call is the same and that we are called to make disciples. And that means authentic relationships, learning to walk with Jesus. And you'll learn just as much from Jesus through those people you're discipling as they do from you. It's going to happen. Intentionality and investing. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world in Christ Jesus. And our saltiness doesn't go away, and that light can't be put out as long as we're with him. So if you get anything from anything here at Bridgewood Community Church, is that we value, above all things, being with Jesus. Because if you're not, if we're not, we can't do any of the things, any of the fun things, any of the hard things that are fun things, We can't do any of those without him. It's just hollow. We have to be with him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just, um, I want to thank you for your love and your grace. And I want to thank you, God, that you've given us everything we need. Everything we need. I don't know why, Lord, we act as if we're lacking something when we have all that we need in you. That we don't have enough. But yet you invite us to take full access of your entire being. (laughs) And we say we don't have enough. Or we don't have the right this or the right that. So, Lord, I, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd give us the courage, the strength, and the grace to walk with you in such a way that you continue to transform us, that we continue to see that that, uh, as you transform us, as you speak life into us, we are living a life worth emulating. A life, a life that's worth imitating, Lord. We want to live that. 
and not be afraid to say that what you're doing in us is good and other people should do it. And so I, I ask God in, in this time that um, we would ask you, who, who do you want to highlight for us that we need to engage? And quicken our discernment, God, so that we can see where you are and where you are not. So when that person is, uh, comes our way, uh, it's like a neon sign. And some of us feel that we have a hard time hearing you. And so I pray that as you, as you um, present these people to us, you'd make it very clear in Jesus' name, very clear, crystal clear, that these are the people you're calling us to pour into and that we would not be afraid to do so. And so I thank you that we can trust you. Lord, I thank you that um, you give us everything we need. And I, and I just pray as we take this time of tithes and offerings is that we present to you we would understand that you've given us all things. You, have, you are the ultimate cheerful giver. And I pray, God, that we would emulate that, that we would imitate that, and that we would trust you as that woman trusted you. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about challenging situations, Lord, that we would trust you, that we would be with you, that we would follow you into those places and say, Lord, have your way. So take our tithes and our offerings this morning and use them for your glory, for your kingdom, for your purposes, to help others give it away. We thank you that you say what's mine is yours, and we only want to do what we see you do. But we have to be with you in order to do that. So we want to draw near to you. Show us how to continue to do that individually and as a church family. Continue to bless us and show us how we're to walk alongside each other. And we thank you, Lord. We glorify your name. And I pray that we would worship you this morning with all we got. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.